Our scripture this morning comes from First uh, Kings chapter 3, and that's page 282 if you're in a pew Bible. And also we just want to mention that, given that today is the graduate service, and we as a church want to pray for the graduates, we're going to have the children um, stay in here today. So, um, But we'll be in First Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there for their for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern, govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. This is the word of the Lord. I think all of us are, are a little bit familiar, at least, with, with the story of Aladdin's lamp, that he found a lamp, he rubbed the side of it, and a genie came out, and the genie was going to give Aladdin three wishes. And even if you don't know that whole story, you at least are familiar enough with it that you probably have spent time throughout your lifetime at some point thinking, if that ever happened to me, if I ever found that lamp and rubbed the side of it and was given three wishes, what would I use those three wishes? What would I do for those three wishes? And so you've probably, maybe maybe this is only me, but you've probably, if you're like me, have thought about that and thought, what would I do? Would I would I ask for for money or fame or or would I try to try to be sly and ask for more wishes? You know, use one of your wishes for more wishes so you don't run out. Um 
Would you use it for love? Would you use it for, for possession? We probably all have a list of things that we would, we would rank that we would think of if that were to happen. Cause you have to be ready in case you find the lamp and in case the genie comes, you at least are prepared. And so we probably all have spent some time doing that. What we find here in 1 Kings chapter 3 is, is the story, not the story of Aladdin's lamp, but a story much like that. Though the genie is far greater and can offer far more. Solomon, though, gets to make a wish. He gets to have anything that he wants. And so we're going to read today, we're going to learn a little bit more about what does that what, what is that? What does Solomon do? Why does he make that request? And, and how exactly does it apply for our graduates this morning? We first have to know about Solomon. As Stephen read this morning, Solomon is the, is the picture. He's the one who gets the wish. Solomon is, is the center of our story. And so we have to know a little bit about Solomon in order to jump into this story. Solomon is the son of King David. David is the second king of Israel. Saul was the first King David was second, and Solomon is his son. Solomon is also the son of Bathsheba, and so if you know much of the story about David and Bathsheba, you kind of know a little bit of that history. But Solomon is that son, and he's been promised to rule over the kingdom. He's been promised to follow in David's footsteps. To have He's not the oldest. There's a couple of, of brothers that are older than Solomon, but Solomon has been promised to be the king, to be the leader. At this point in the story, he's probably about... 20 years old or so, somewhere in his early 20s. Um, he's, he's, he's old enough to be king. He's old enough to, to be a husband, which we read about and you'll see in a second. Uh, he's old enough to have children. We find out later in the, in the book of First Kings. And so he's, he's got to be in, the, in his 20s, but he's still fairly young. He's fairly early on in his life and in his, in his kingdom. Solomon also, just for some more background on him, Solomon wrote a number of books of, of the Bible. He wrote, he used his wisdom, which, which you heard about there that we'll talk about in a second. He used his wisdom to write the book of Proverbs and to pass that wisdom on to us. He also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which is, which is Solomon in his wisdom think, thinking that there has to be more than what he knows and what he has experienced in his life. He also writes the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. The love story that we find in the Old Testament comes from Solomon as well. Solomon is a, is a key part. He's a big part um, of our Christian heritage and the heritage of the Israelite church. And he's a, he's a central figure in the story that we want to talk about today. Solomon was put into power. As I mentioned, he was, he was promised to be the leader of Israel. But as David began to get older, as King David began to get older uh, and, and wasn't able to carry out his kingly duties... Some of the brothers began to rise up. We've, we've talked this last year about us, the story of Absalom and, and David's oldest son, how he tried to, to start a coup and to take over the throne from David. Um, Absalom is, is killed. And then there's another son who rises up to also take over the throne. And he decides that since King David is old and not able to do it, that he's going to, to become king and he's going to announce uh, his kingship and he's going to ride on the king's king's horse and he's going to proclaim to the whole kingdom that he has taken over, that he is now the king of Israel. And so that plan is in the works. And if you read through King, First Kings chapter 1 and 2, you'll read that story. That plan is in the works and he has some of the advisors, in fact most of the advisors of King David are on his side and are a part of, of this coup. And, and he's rising in to power. And in that moment, in that moment, Nathan, one of the prophets of God, 
uh, comes to King David and, and Bathsheba and says, this is about to happen. There's one of, one of your other sons is trying to take over the kingship. And we know that Solomon has been promised that kingship. And so we need to act quickly. And so David does, he has, he has a plan right away and, and in fact, uh, calls the, the remaining leadership team that he has that was not part of the coup, calls them together, sends them out with Solomon on uh, the king's horse and proclaims that Solomon is in fact the new king of Israel and marches him through the kingdom and the coup then is put to rest. Um, there is more though than just that. Solomon sees that. Solomon comes into control, but then Solomon has to, has to really establish his power and establish his, his throne. And so he, um, with some, as you read through chapters one and two, you'll see some, some Machiavellian ways that Solomon ends up chasing down his brother or has someone chase down his brother as well as the general of David's army and some of the other leaders of that, that rose up with his brother and has them all killed. And so Solomon is in charge. In fact, at the end of chapter 2, if, there, if you're reading in your Bible, at the end of chapter 2 it says, So the kingdom was established and in the hand of Solomon. Solomon is now in charge. King David passes away and Solomon is the one that's in charge of the kingdom of Israel. And so we jump into chapter 3. What are the first things now that Solomon is the ruler? What, is, what are the first things that we're going to find out about Solomon? And we find out this in chapter, in verse one of chapter three. Solomon makes a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and he brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house in the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. His very first move, the very first thing that we find out about Solomon after he gets rid of all of his competition, after he establishes his right to the throne and sets himself up as the leader of the, of the kingdom of Egypt, the very first thing that Solomon does, it tells us in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, is that he makes a marriage alliance with the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He makes a marriage alliance with Egypt. You see that picture, right? You know about Egypt, right? You know the whole Bible narrative of, of how the Israelites had gone to Egypt and when Joseph was there and they, they had, had lived there and they'd become slaves there. You know that Egypt is the place where, where Moses came in to lead God's people, the Israelites, out of that slavery and out of that so that they could live in their own promised land that God had promised to Abraham. You know the Egyptians are the ones. The Egyptians are the ones who came and, and, and chased them down and, and met them at the Red Sea. You know that God saved the Israelite people and he drowned Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea. That's the Egypt. That's the Egypt. Several hundred years later, but that's the Egypt. That the very first thing that Solomon does is make a marriage alliance with Pharaoh. Egypt has been a strong power all of this time. And Solomon probably thinks, and in fact, there's some commentators that say maybe this alliance had even been set up. It had been proposed by David and set up by David, preset by him. That, that maybe it wasn't such a bad deal for those two, those two countries, those two rival nations to actually have this alliance so that there wouldn't be a battle between them and so that there wouldn't be conflict between them. There's, there's, there's some positive things that came from that marriage alliance. But it's also clear all through the Old Testament, all through the laws, God gives it to Moses that he wants his people to be his people. He doesn't want his people he doesn't want his people to be divided. He wants to be the God of his own people. 
And so he even gives very specific instructions in Deuteronomy about how they're not to intermarry with other of the, with the other nations that are around them. That they're not, especially, they're not to make a deals and alliances with Egypt. They're not to do those things. And so while it makes political sense, probably, for Solomon to make this alliance, maybe made political sense for David to set it up for Solomon to do that, we know that God wanted separation. He wanted to be, he wanted his own people to be his own people. And so the author, as he writes through this section of 1 Kings, he says, Solomon made a deal. He made an alliance with Pharaoh. He married Pharaoh's daughter. And then it says, it's almost like the, the writer says, I, I, see what, I see what you're going to see here. You're going to see that he made this deal with Pharaoh and that wasn't a good thing. And so in verse 3 then he says, but, 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 but. Solomon loved the Lord and he walked in the statutes of David his father. Do you see that kind of there? The writer says, I know he did this. He made this marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, but he loves the Lord. He's not a bad guy. He walks in the statutes of David. And then the next word in, chapter, in verse 3, if you're looking there, says, Solomon loved the Lord. He walked in the statutes of David his father only. Only. He sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Solomon made a deal, made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Probably wasn't the best plan. But Solomon really loved God. He really did want to walk in the statutes of David. But only, except, he also did something else. He, he worshipped God, but then he would take his sacrifices where he would worship God and he would take them to these high places, to these, these points that were throughout Jerusalem where people would, would oftentimes worship idols, not worship the one true God, but worship another God instead. And, and Solomon, while we think he loved the Lord and walked in the statutes of God, and so he was probably in those moments only worshiping the one true God, he was doing it in places that were not set up to worship the one true God. And again, there's some, there's some scholars, there's some, some biblical historians that say maybe at this point in history that might have been alright. The temple hadn't been built yet and there was some debate about whether it would be okay to worship in different high places. And so maybe it was okay. But I think the author says, Solomon started his reign, he started his rulership, started it by taking a wife from Egypt, And he started it by worshiping the one true God at places that were not designated to worship the one true God, places where other gods were being worshipped as well. He loved the Lord. He walked in the statutes of his father, David. But he had these little chinks in his armor. He had these little things that maybe don't seem like that big a deal now. But you're going to see, if you read through, and we're not going to look at it all today, but if you read through the story of Solomon, you're going to see that his kingdom, in fact, all of the Israelite kingdom, will ultimately be brought down because Solomon continued to make deals and bring in wives from other countries that would lead him and the Israelite people to worship their gods that came from other countries, not the one true God, but false gods, on the high places around Israel, neglecting the worship that was to happen for the one true God in the temple. Those are the two main areas that the kingdom of Israel begins to fall, especially during the reign of Solomon, 
is because of those things, those things that we see really early on, the very first things that we see in Solomon's life. Even after, even after Solomon gets a supernatural outpouring of God's grace on his life, these first things, these cracks in his character, these early holes in his character, ultimately lead to his undoing. So what does that mean for us this morning? What does that part of our scripture mean for us this morning? What's it mean for graduates this morning? My warning for you this morning as we look at this part of the scripture is that start early on in evaluation. Start early on looking for those chinks in your armor, looking for those holes in your character, looking for those places where your eyes are not naturally drawn toward God. Looking for those places where his word is not the first thing that you think of. Those holes in character, those chinks in your armor, they are not going to automatically fade away. They maybe will not have the same ramifications that Solomon's did, but they will not automatically fade away. They do not just get better. Early on, early on, right now, as you're preparing to leave from high school or you're preparing to move on from college, right now, today, begin to establish discipline early to fight some of those holes, some of those chinks in your armor. Be faithful to the word. Be committed to a body of believers, to a church. Find a small group of fellow believers who will strengthen you and spur you on. Start early on to look for those holes that Satan might grab a hold of, for those holes where, where you will continue to fall away and, and run after the path that God has not intended for you. Solomon started his kingdom, he started his reign by making an alliance with Pharaoh and by worshiping at the high places. And those were the things that ultimately destroyed the kingdom. But this morning, that's not necessarily what I want to look at. What I want to look at is Solomon's, Solomon's request says that Solomon loved the Lord and he walks in the statutes and he, he worshipped a thousand burnt offerings at the altar at Gibeon. And then it says in verse 5, it says, At Gibeon the Lord then appears to Solomon in a dream by night and God said, Ask what I shall give you. Ask what I shall give you. God doesn't say, What do you want? What can I give you? God does not ask Solomon a question. God gives Solomon a command. God gives Solomon a command. He says to Solomon, ask what I shall give you. He says, Solomon, this is what I want you to do. I want you to ask me for something. I want you to ask me. God says, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of this. This whole thing is my design. This whole thing is my plan. And I want you to ask me. And he gives the command to Solomon, ask me whatever you want. And Solomon begins his request. He says, you've shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father. Because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. You've kept for him this great and steadfast love and you've given him a son to sit on his throne one day and now, O oh Lord my God, you have made your servant king in a place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. 
Your servant in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, who is able to govern this, your great people. Solomon, right away, when he is commanded by God to give a request, Solomon starts his request by saying, You have shown great and steadfast love. You have shown great and steadfast love. When it comes right down to it, when he, when he comes to that moment where God says, ask me, ask me for something, Solomon starts his request by saying, you've shown great and steadfast love. He starts it by saying, God, you, you've asked me, you've commanded me. God, he says, God, you've commanded me to, to ask for something. And as I bring my request, I have to start here. You have steadfast love. You've shown your steadfast love to my father, David. You have over and over and over shown David your love for him, your plan for him, your care for him. Solomon is saying, God, you have always been faithful to your promises. We have seen it over and over and over again in our own family, but we've also seen it over and over again throughout the history of Israel. You have been faithful to your promises. You never, ever fail. You always deliver. You have shown great and steadfast love. And so as I come with this request, Solomon is saying, I know that I'm coming to you because you will do it. You will accomplish what you say you will do. You've showed it over and over and over. You have blessed your people. You have blessed the church. And so I come to you. We want to know those promises of God. We want to be able to, to come when we come to that moment. We want to know that God is going to be faithful to his promises. We talk about that often here at Richland. It's a part of, of all of our ministries, talking about the promises of God and his faithfulness to those promises. It's one of the reasons why this morning we will give our graduates, we will give them a Bible because we want them to be in the word. We want them to know, we want them to know the promises of God. We want them to search out the things that he wants to tell us and that he calls us to and that, gives, that he wants to give us. We want to know the promises that he has made to all believers because he is great and in his steadfast love, he will do it. That's what Solomon's saying. That's where he starts. In Psalm 37, we read that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord and that he will give us the desires of our hearts. He wants to give us those good gifts and we need to trust in that promise. God is a God of steadfast love. But Solomon doesn't just begin by saying, God, you've done it before. I trust in your steadfast love. You have shown great and steadfast love. But he also says, I'm but a little child. I'm but a little child. This process is too big for me. This whole thing, that this, this, this calling that you've given to me, this reign that you have given to me over the kingdom, it's too big for me. I'm too little. I don't even know when to go out or when to come in. Solomon comes to God and he says, I know that you can do it because you've done it before. And I can't do it on my own. I can't do it on my own. It's too big for me. He comes with a heart that knows that God fulfills his promises. And he comes with a heart, a humble heart that says, I cannot do it. It's way too large. And I need some help. I need someone to come. He has a right understanding 
Solomon has a right understanding of his own place in the world. And he has a right understanding of the bigness of God. And so God says to him, ask and I'll give it to you. And Solomon says, you've shown great love. You've shown great steadfast love. You've helped me in the past. You've helped us in the past and I will trust you in the future. And this is way too big for me. And so he says in verse 9, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? And then he gives his request, and God's response in verse 10 starts with, It pleased the Lord that Solomon has asked this. It pleased the Lord that Solomon has asked this. Whatever happens after that, whatever happens after that line, however God responds to that request, this is huge. It pleased the Lord. When we start talking about goals, graduates, when you start talking about goals, what are you going to do for the future? What's, What's your life goal? Let that be your goal. That at one day, at one point, it will say about you, it pleased the Lord. That really is our, is our hope that our life goal should be that one day in the end when we stand before God, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That we have pleased the Lord. Let that be our goal. Let that be our hope. Solomon pleased the Lord with his response. Why was he pleased? It tells us in verse 11, God says, Because you've asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or life for your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. God says, you were given this command. You were given this wish. And you could have asked for anything. In fact, that was the command that God said. "Ask, Ask and it will be given to you. Ask for whatever you want. And Solomon when he asks, does not ask for himself. He says, he says you're going to do it. Uh, this is too big for me, and so I need help. He's kingdom-minded, literally kingdom-minded. He wants to lead his kingdom. He wants to lead Israel. But he's kingdom-minded. He has a hope to lead well. He has a hope to point his people, to point his kingdom toward God. And so God is pleased by his request. God is pleased that Solomon is kingdom-minded. He's kingdom-minded in his goals. He's kingdom-minded in his hopes. There's a side note in here. In fact, I'm not even sure what all this means, except I'm fascinated by it. He says, it says in verse 12, this is God's response. He says, he says, you've asked yourself for understanding to discern what is right. And then he says in verse 12, behold, I now do According to your word. I do according to your word. That's amazing to me. He starts the whole conversation by God giving a command to Solomon to say, say, ask what you want. I'm in charge of all of this process and I'm telling you to ask me. And then when Solomon does make his request, God acts on the word of Solomon. Solomon has made the request and God acts on his word. It says, then in verse 13, I, I, 
So in verse 12, he says, Behold, I give you a wise and a discerning mind, so that none like you has gone before you, and none like you shall arise after you. He says, I'm going to give you a wise and discerning mind. I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you a listening heart. I'm going to give you exactly what you need to do what you have asked, to rule your people, to point them towards me. I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you wisdom. And it doesn't elaborate very much on it here, except that, as I mentioned before, Solomon does elaborate on the wisdom that God gives him. In fact, he writes a whole book about it in in Proverbs. You can can read through Proverbs and learn many of the things, most of the things that, that Solomon gained by gaining this wisdom from God. And this morning, I just want to talk about just, I just have five super quick points that deal with what does it mean what, what, what does wisdom mean? What, what exactly does that mean? What did it mean for Solomon? And what does it mean for us? What's it mean for graduates? So let me just quickly hit them real quick. Worship, or, or, or wisdom, wisdom has five different dimensions I want to talk about. The first is that it has a worship dimension to it. It has a worship dimension to it. And Solomon knew that. It has a worship dimension to it. Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 9 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it all starts. Wisdom, wisdom is not intelligence. Wisdom is not intelligence. Trivial pursuit titles, Jeopardy game show titles, that is not wisdom, necessarily. It's not about having a high IQ. It's not about knowing all of the right answers. Wisdom starts with a worship dimension. Worship starts knowing that God is over all things. God knows all things. God rules all things. God has control of all things. And so wisdom starts by knowing our place comes from God. Wisdom comes from worship. Wisdom comes from worship. The second dimension that I want to talk about with wisdom is that not only does it come from worship, but there's an insight and a discernment dimension to wisdom. Again, Solomon shares it in Proverbs chapter 4. He says, The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Wisdom wisdom gives us, it leads us to to spiritual insights. It leads us to understanding spiritual truths. It leads us to when we grab the Bible and we begin to read through it, looking for the promises of God, we can understand them clearly. We can see exactly how God might use those and apply those to our life. When we have discernment, we will see things that others don't see. We will no longer try to be wise in our own eyes, but we will be trying to live under the wisdom that comes from God, the wisdom that comes from Scripture. There's an insight and a discernment dimension to wisdom. There's also, thirdly, there's a, a moral dimension, a moral dimension. Throughout Scripture, wisdom and purity, they go hand in hand. Many of the Proverbs that Solomon writes about are aimed at helping a young man keep his way pure. Wisdom leads us to be open to correction. It gives us a longing to be holy. There's a justice dimension. That's number four. In fact, as you read through chapter three, the the portion of scripture right after the story that we're talking about here, in that portion of scripture, um, Solomon has a justice decision where two women come claiming that that one child is both of theirs and and he uh, has to make a decision and he says, let's let's cut the child in two. And the mother, the real mother, 
says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't, don't take his life. And the, and the other mother, the, the, the fake mother, she says, yes, let's do it. Let's chop him in two. And Solomon knows at that moment that, that the real mother would never allow her baby to be chopped in two. That's the justice dimension that's a part of wisdom that Solomon exhibits right away. There's also, though, lastly, a, a, a skill dimension to wisdom. There's a skill dimension to wisdom. Throughout Scripture, especially throughout the Proverbs, there's a certain uh, skill that goes about gaining wisdom. Wisdom is more, the idea is that wisdom is more skilled woodcutter than it is visions of mystics. Wisdom is more skilled woodcutter than it is visions of mystics. Now, no one else is ever going to receive wisdom the way that Solomon did. In fact, God says to Solomon, there's not going to be anyone that comes before you or come after you that's going to be as wise as you are. You're the only one that's going to get wisdom exactly like this. For the rest of us, for all of us in this room, graduates, for you, for your wisdom, you're going to get it by practice. You're going to get it by learning. You're going to get it by fine-tuning, fine-tuning and redoing. It's not going to come easily for you. It's going to become a craft like skilled woodcutting that you have to do over and over and over. And the more that you practice wisdom, the more you will get it right and the more it will become a part of who you are. Wisdom doesn't come easily. Solomon doesn't just get wisdom, though. Solomon also, God says, Behold, I'll give you wise and I'll give you a discerning mind so that none of you, that there's none like you before you, none like you after you. I also give you, though he says in verse 13, I also give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no other king will compare it with you. All of your days you'll walk in my ways, you'll keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. He gives Solomon wisdom and discernment. And then he says, I'm also going to give you riches and honor. I'm also going to give you everything else that you did not ask for. He says, there's never going to be anyone that compares to you. Your kingdom is going to be the greatest kingdom in all of history. Nothing else will compare to you. You not only have wisdom, you're going to have honor, you're going to have riches. In fact, we know as you read through the Bible that, that people came from kingdoms all around. They came just to see how great Solomon was. They came to see all of the horses that he had and all of the, and the temple that he had built and all of the buildings that he had built, even for the home he had built for himself. People came from all around because Solomon was the greatest. He had it all. Solomon had everything that you could ever want. Nothing would outshine Solomon. Nothing would outshine Solomon. I'd like you to turn, if you can, to Matthew chapter 6. God closes this time with Solomon and he says, I'm going to give you everything. He says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you riches and honor to go with your discerning mind. And then he says, nothing will ever outshine you. Nothing will be greater. You have everything. People will come to see it. And then in Matthew chapter 6, It's page 812 if you're using a pew Bible. I want you to see this. Jesus is speaking. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And I think he references exactly what we just read about in in 1 Kings chapter 3. 
Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 28. Jesus is speaking and he says, Why are you anxious about clothing? He says, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon who had everything. God gave him riches and honor. He said, people are going to come and they're going to look at you and they're going to see you and they're going to, they're going to marvel at how great you are and all of the things that you have and how well dressed you are. And then Jesus a little later in life says, remember Solomon? The one that had everything that people came to see him? Even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, you little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then he says this. See it on verse 33. This is where I want to close this morning. Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's really the same promise. It's really the same promise that we had for Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3. Seek first the kingdom of God. Graduates, when you're trying to think through what, what, where am I going to go from here? What are the goals of my life going to be from here? Let it start with this. Seek first the kingdom of God. And everything else, everything else will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's where you're to start. It's not just graduates. All of us that are in this room, seek first the kingdom of God. God gave that command to Solomon. He said, "What? ask what you want. Ask whatever you want. And he was pleased as Solomon sought wisdom. Jesus gives us the same command when he says, seek the kingdom of God. Seek his righteousness. These things will be added to you. Jesus says in all the splendor, all the honor and the riches that were given to Solomon, all of those things that God gave to him on top of his request for wisdom, pale in comparison to what he wants to do for his creation, what he wants to do for those of us who love him, for his children. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. We're going to pray this morning for our graduates. What we're going to do, the worship team is going to lead us. We're going to sing together. And, and while, they, while the worship team leads us and while we together as a congregation sing, I'm going to invite the graduates that are here with us this morning to come and to kneel at the altar here. And I'm going to ask their families to come and, and gather around them. And then Stephen and I have a, have a gift to give them, a Bible for our high school graduates and a devotional book for our, for our college graduates. We're going to share that with them and give them that book. And then Stephen is going to pray over our graduates this morning. We want to pray that they will seek first the kingdom of God, that he will give them wisdom, that he will give them riches, that he will give them honor, that all of those things will come to them because they are seeking first the kingdom of God and that they will know righteousness is our hope. Righteousness is our goal. So worship team is going to lead us. I'd invite all of us to stand together. While we sing, I'd invite the graduates to come forward and kneel at the altar. Their families can gather around them. In you is strength to sustain me 
and wisdom enough to guide my hand, mercy enough to forgive me, and power to finish what you began. All that I need is in you, Jesus, fountain of grace that before you right now as as the church to pray for these graduates and just pray that um, as Pastor Jason spoke this morning that as they go out in their in their different ways in the world whether it's 
to further education or, or to seek, seek employment. That they're seeking you first, Lord. That they're seeking that wisdom and discernment that comes from you. And that they're, they're knowing that as truth. And they're persevering in that truth as they go into this world where there'll be many different things, good things and, and bad things and struggles, Lord, that through all of that, that they're resting in you in all those things, Lord. And that they're growing in, in the truth of your word in those things, Lord, that you just, that you just guard, that they are guarding their hearts in you in all those things, Lord. We just pray these things as, as the church and, and as their families and, and, and um, that we can be a part of that in any way we can, that we can be, come alongside them in those ways, whether it's through prayer or encouragement or in all those ways, Lord, that we can, we can also be your, your instruments in, in, in guiding them as they continue to grow. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning. We were, we want to celebrate, continue to celebrate with our graduates at lunch in the fellowship hall, and we hope that you'll join us for that. I'm going to let the graduates and their families. You can go ahead and, and begin to gather your things. We're going to let you go first, so you can get at the front of the line in the fellowship hall as they're getting ready and, and heading out here. Let me just pray for us over our food, so that we can all gather together in the sanctuary and eat together. Let me pray. God, we're grateful that you have come and helped us to celebrate together today. We pray, God that you will be with each of these graduates, that you'll be with their families, that you will continue to draw them towards yourself so that they might seek your kingdom, so that they might seek righteousness, and that all of your promises might flow to them. Help us now as we go into the fellowship hall. Bless the food to our bodies. Give us, give us hope from our conversations around the table that you might be seen, that you might be honored. We pray these things in your name.